them or something. Yeah. They got them sounds. I'm gonna move the mic, sorry. Oh, you're good. There we go. Fuck. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the fresh from work, looking better than ever. Never forget her, Kristen Pennington. And we're bringing you guys another edition. I need a repeat on that bump. That was a sad bump. <laughs> sad bump. Story of my memoir. Um, we're bringing you another edition of the Two Star Tuesday. I feel like it's unjustified, though. I'm going to be sad about this Two Star because I... I... Don't agree, critics or audience. <laughs> Think you're wrong. Think you're super duper wrong. Um, we are recording this on Halloween. Um, we should have done Halloween for Halloween. That would have been smart. But I mean, it's not going to release we're on not Halloween. Not good at planning. <laughs> if we had, like had a calendar up, we could have like marked down what day we needed to record a proper Halloween it's episode. It's not going to release on Halloween either way. So yeah. that's all right. But we could have dropped a Halloween episode. Like we could have dropped one today, and it would have been like, "Oh, it was special." But you guys didn't get that, so fuck you guys. Yeah, I gotta be better about that because technically I'm the one who keeps up with our episode numbers, and we hit fifty. And I was just like, "Oh, yeah." You told me episode. on episode fifty-two that we hit fifty. <laughs> you're like, "We hit 50. and I was like, "Hell, fucking yeah!" <laughs> episode number fifty. You're like, "No, that was like a week and a half." Try to be on top of episode 100. <laughs> We're still in the 50s right now. So. Sometimes, you know, when you're, you know, creative people trying to make it out on your own, sometimes you get, as they put in all the reviews for this film, <laughs> a little lost in the weeds. <laughs> what film are we doing? We're talking today about the film In the Tall Grass. It was an adaptation of a Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill. I was going to say Jonah Hill. I needed to double check my notes. Jonah Hill, fat comedian. <laughs> Joe Hill, Stephen King's deranged face son. <laughs> well, it's his uh, pseudonym. Is yeah, yeah, his yeah. pen name. Um, but it's based on that, um, which I have not read, which I should have read before we did this. But again, not well prepared. Mistakes this is a, were made. Yeah, post-work and I'm already a couple of beers in, so you can't expect me to read literary fiction. It is another 2019 film, though. It's, I think, only the second one we've done this year so far that's in the same year. So. Exactly. And we're looking at it with bright blue eyes. Can we uh, do the reviews and then before we actually get into the film have a weird, probably very brief debate because I don't have anything yes. to contribute to it? I am 100% down for okay. brief debates. So on IMDb, In the Tall Grass, which you guys should definitely go watch on Netflix, you can send us an email, tell us what you thought about the film over at Productions. shortly after you go over to the uh, app that you're probably listening to this to, leaving us some sort of a review. Good, bad, ugly, I don't care. Mediocre. <laughs> we spend all our time watching mediocre shit. Give us a <laughs> mediocre review. Um, but on IMDb, this got a 5.5 right down the middle. Good move on them. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes, the critics panned it. They gave it a 38%. The audience only gave it a 42%. And since Netflix stole our star system, we go off Rotten Tomatoes. So this counts. <laughs> Specifically the critic reviews because uh, we're technically critiquing this too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. So you guys are you listening know. to it. It's a weird like lifestyle slash film review slash you know, edutainment show. <laughs> I, have, I have a question for you though that I have, got? I have done zero research for and don't really have any serious commentary for. So this is okay. Gonna be the... So you're just going to hit me out of the blue with something <laughs> you don't fully understand. That'll be fun. This is going to be the world's <laughs> shortest debate ever. But I was thinking about this because after we watched it, we had had like a discussion about the fact that a lot of um, King's work hasn't been translated the best ever yeah. to film so there are legitimately a lot of interesting stories by king that just got made into kind of shitty films so granted there are some poorly reviewed stephen king films that well, were there are some poorly written poorly stephen made. king books and true. <laughs> the dude has like a thousand and fifty books <laughs> true but they can't all be bangers um you know, King is a very prolific writer. He's um, someone pretty yeah. much everybody knows. Maybe the and most. 
prolific writer. Yeah, and like a... a Drops like three novels a year. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like one of the most highly respected um, writers in the horror genre in particular. So, do you think whenever a writer or a filmmaker or someone who has a name that carries so much weight puts out work, even if the work is good, like if it's not necessarily great, because King's done a lot of really great work that's been highly praised as well, but if he puts out work that's just kind of average, that he gets raked through the coals more aggressively because people expect more? I think a lot of people that pretend to read, pretend to read Stephen King, but they just watch the movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know how to track those people by when they tell me that it was their favorite novel and that's why they're going to go watch it. I bring up the child gang rape (laughs) and they look at me like I've made it up. And I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. You didn't read that wasn't it. In the movie. You didn't finish the book. You got through three chapters, sat down, watched that old made-for-TV film, and declared yourself a Stephen King aficionado. Would you like to count the amount of King books I have? There you do have quite a few. There's maybe fifteen <laughs> of them. I've read at least thirteen of them. Like I'm not reading The Stand anytime soon. I don't have that kind of fucking time on my hands. I have not read The Bizarre of Bad Dreams or The Outsider. I've read, I believe, every other one that's over there. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think that when one of his works gets turned into a movie that people rate it more poorly if it's just kind of average because they're like... It's a King movie. It should have been better. Or like a Tarantino or anyone who's I would say Netflix has a bigger weight in that discussion than King does nowadays. You know? Like, Christine was huge when it was made. Carrie, Mm -hmm. massive. Misery, massive. Mm -hmm. The Shining, massive. But today's audience, I don't know if Stephen King necessarily resonates with people that would have been in our age ranges when we found Stephen King. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like the new version of Pet Cemetery, like the kids watching that now have probably never yeah. seen the original. It's divided from King and now it's, you know, it's a good way to sell a film. It's like selling it as the Coen brothers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I don't know, that was just a, and again, I haven't done any kind of no, research. It's, it's, but it definitely was... adds, I think, when the writer is big, it adds a level of you know, this has to be fantastic. Or the filmmaker, anyone, like if someone who has a name that carries a lot of weight, I wonder if they get rated more harshly just because people are like, oh, it's supposed to be the best of the best. Well, the reviews weren't bashing King, you know, they were bashing Netflix for producing it. And yeah. releasing it. The one that I read was kind of bashing the director in particular. Well, the director also wrote the screenplay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent hours, not even kind of joking, uh, trying to find Stephen King's opinion on this, and it did not come up. So I, it, when he's quiet, it's not a good sign. He did heavily praise the Pet Cemetery remake. Yeah, the Pet Cemetery remake, the It remake. He signed on for um, Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying that that guy could go on with the Kubrick version of events. Yeah, that's the prequel to Shining, right? Sequel. Sequel. Okay. Yeah, it's when Danny's an adult. Oh, yeah, he's that's right. Like a heroin addict or something like that. I would be like interested in seeing that one. That's a. Well, I'm in the middle of reading it. So, <laughs> so oh, that's far, right. You yeah. did get it. I, I refuse to watch the you film even... because it's on the nightstand. <laughs> I'm only like five <laughs> chapters in. <laughs> We haven't even talked about that. I completely forgot that you got that. But anyway, sorry. Um, that was just my weird aside because I was like, this wasn't, in my opinion, a bad movie. It wasn't a fantastic movie. It was just kind of an average, I had fun watching yeah. it movie. And it got reviewed kind of harshly and I don't really understand. I had a blast with it once we kind of got past like the first couple of times going back in the grass once Mm -hmm. we were in the grass the movie had me by the balls all over again Mm -hmm. um and we'll get into the negative aspects and stuff like that but i'd be very interested in reading the original short story because Mm -hmm. the, the the concept behind the film is not a bad horror film like no it's a neat idea yeah you're and the shooting setup it. for the film was really cool too yeah. the whole background is grass so it has to be plot driven uh where this film fucks up which we'll get to in the bads um 
and as is pointed out in a lot of reviews, is in the re oops, sorry, is in the redundancy. I've got the burps because I'm drinking Bud Light and Heiser Bush Bud Light. Not as good as a band, Montana. I'll share my huggets with you. No, that's all right. Those are all you. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> what was I saying? Uh, the redundancy is what gets it. Yeah, the redundancy is what shoots it in the ass. But in story form, that has to be a very interesting. Like you, you can't run into random passerby or go to the store for milk. Like you are in grass, so this is dialogue fed. So I need to read the story. Yeah. But King's uh, best, I guess, while we're kind of in this little in-between moment, is definitely the Shawshank Redemption. It's the best novella that has ever been turned into a film. And we looked at a list of like 31, and I was like, Shawshank's better. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was a damn good movie. Yeah. But anyway. Ran through miles of shit just to come out clean on the other side. We should rewatch that. Andy Dufresne. <laughs> we should rewatch that because I haven't seen it in a long time. And every time you say that quote to me, I'm like, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so he, we should rewatch it. Uh, spoiler alert. He tunnels out of the prison behind the picture of Rita Hayworth and um, has to climb through the sewer system of the prison to get to the field that is far, far enough away for him to make his escape. But he came out in a rainstorm, so it like wipes all the shit off of his body. And that's the big lines. He climbed through so many miles of shit to come out clean on the other side. Hmm. I can't remember the It's number. kind of poetic. Yeah, it's beautiful. Fantastic story. It's a king. Fantastic movie. And he did not like Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do care? Nor did he like getting hit by that car. But <laughs> guy in a van. Take care of your dogs, people. Harness those motherfuckers or you might run over Stephen King. <laughs> Again, and uh, he's not doing well the way he was, but he's probably doing a little bit better now that he's got all that money from Copper Heart Entertainment, who is one of our productions. Um, them, Netflix, and Tendril Design, uh, because this is a Netflix film, we could not find the budget, no matter how hard I digged. <sighs> oh, Netflix, yeah. you and your secrets. Those and their goddamn stock market interests. <laughs> We're not telling you how much money we just lost on this piece of shit film. We're doing, you know, this other thing. Um, but the main fault here, and I will fight you directly uh, if you ever see me there, dear sir, is uh, Vincenzo Natale. Vincenzo Natale. Um, that's the director, right? That's the writer and the director, which Ooh. is a theme for our two stars if you guys are not keeping up. If there's the same writer and director, probably yeah. not a good Circling movie. back to that discussion we had, don't double dip. Yep, can't do it. Have somebody else, you know. Help you with the vision. If Stephen King wrote this screenplay and Vincenzo directed it, probably would have been one of the greatest movies I've ever probably seen. Probably would have life. ended where you wanted it to end. Yeah, we'll get that. <laughs> uh, do you want to give a plot synopsis? Uh, characters first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got Becky and Cal, who immediately, it's not clear... Um, if they are boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, brother and sister, which will come up later. Um, but the, the Becky is pregnant. And then you've got Ross and Tobin, who live in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> Ross is the father of Tobin. We'll get there. Um, and then you have Travis and Natalie. Travis is Becky's baby daddy, it turns out that Cal is the brother. So Travis is Becky's baby daddy and Natalie is Tobin's mother. And Ross's wife. And Ross's wife. Um, I wrote him off to the side. I should have done that in a completely different order. <laughs> You're fine. Um, so the premise of the film is Becky and Cal are driving... I don't know if it's across the country or yeah. just a couple of states over or whatever, but they're 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 on going a road trip. Going to San trip. Diego. Yeah, they're on a road trip to San Diego. From Kansas. And um again, Becky's pregnant. She has a bout of morning sickness. They pull over and hear a child shouting from inside this massive um thicket of grass that's taller yeah. than they are. Totally. You can't see anything in it. And so they go into the grass to try to help this kid who they think is lost. And they can't find their way back out. So yeah. 
they get trapped in the grass as well and it's a, a mix of running into each other um they're all kind of separated at one point and they all kind of come together baby daddy shows up out of the blue and uh they have to survive the maze of grass well they go into the grass and the grass is a a time suck it pulls all the mm-hmm. time out and that that's kind of the key plot point yeah there. it uh yeah. not only fucks with time it fucks with space like it keeps moving them spatially around the grass field so that they can't get out which was a sick fucking move and it's Mm -hmm. in my goods (laughs) so hell yeah that's our plots and albums do we have any trivia today i had zero trivia because i i didn't recognize a lot of these actors the guy who played ross i forgot to write his name down he's big He's in a shitload of horror films. He's normally, you know, dead uh, Conjuring, or the Conjuring. Conjuring, Conjuring Insidious, Insidious 2. The Annabelle series. Yeah, he's um, like the husband in yeah. all of those films. Uh, I weirdly recognize Tobin because um, when I worked at the Children's Hospital, I spent a lot of time watching Disney Channel with children, and Tobin <laughs> is a Disney actor who plays in the TV show Bunked, I believe is what that it's was, called. Yeah. Um, I may be wrong on this trivia because I didn't write it down, but I think I remember reading that the film was mostly filmed in Canada and yeah, the Ontario. bowling, yeah, the bowling alley that they go to was actually next to the mm-hmm. film, but then the church was a set that they built, mm-hmm. I believe. So they got busted because they were, they had to explain why they were building the church and that's kind of how it leaked that they were making this movie. Oh, in the really? First place. I, didn't <laughs> see, I didn't see that part. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Why is King out here building a church? church Can you imagine that if it was just Stephen King out there with the nail and hammers? I'm making my fucking movie. That's not what he sounds like. Creating a cult. (laughs) He's already got one. We will rise. Um, So we got some goods. Where are you starting at? Um, I'll start with the intro because maybe I just saw it that way and I wanted it to be that way. But for me, it looked like the the opening of the film was a drone shot from overhead yeah. looking directly down on the top of the grass. And before the drone moved in and the uh, camera zoomed in or whatever, like it looked like it was just static on the TV. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of neat because it is a little parallel to them just kind of like being tracked trapped in this like static noise of Mm -hmm. the grass and can't get out so um yeah it looked weirdly like there was static on the tv and then it started to the drone started to lower and the lens i guess zoomed in and i was like oh wait that's grass well that's like an interesting choice he makes throughout right is he gives us this um angle above the grass Mm -hmm. that none of the characters get to see so we're constantly viewing the whole landscape and it's massive and it is massive But yeah, he starts on that drone shot and then none of the characters, except for the really cool jumping scene, like none of the characters um, get a view of the top level. That was a really interesting decision to like drop us as an audience into it. uh, Ends that way too, but in reverse, the drone slowly moves up out of the grass and then up into it. So it didn't quite look like static on the outro, but it still kind of had that similar vibe Mm -hmm. of, you know, it kind of dissipating into... Just yeah. this maze of grass. And the grass moves like an ocean, so it's like the people or the spirits or whatever are running through it. You get these really cool swelling visuals. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the only time CGI is used effectively throughout this entire <laughs> goddamn movie. <laughs> so what do you got? Uh, my first good is... Uh, no, but my top one is... Uh, that I'll save that one for last. Um... All my goods are very good, though. <laughs> I'll start. I'll start. I'll start light. I like the offbeat jump scares, like when yeah, Kristen I and I. Yeah, when we watch horror films, I can almost always go and a one and a two and a three, and then like on a beat, the jump scare will happen. Mm-hmm. I can count them down nine times out of ten. On this one, I could count to. Five, I could count to 10, I could count to 15. It would hit like on seven or eight or, you know, yeah. 13. Like you knew there was one coming, but the timing of it is what would get yeah. you. Yeah, and that was a very 
interesting move. It, it gets done by the pros, and those are the jump scares that really fuck you up. Um, they they limited the jump scares, which I'm happy for because mm-hmm. they didn't have a whole lot visually to work with. Um, but putting them on the offbeat is a pro move. I yeah. fucking I loved that. Um, it's unnerving. Solid acting all around. Yeah. Um, Ross, the the guy from all the big horror films, is probably the Tobin's father. Yeah. yeah, Tobin's father is probably the most prominent actor, and he actually, for me, wasn't really necessarily the one who carried the film. Like these were mostly actors that had very few credits, except for Natalie, who plays Tobin's mom. She Tobin's mom. She's barely in the film at all, and she had. 100 acting <laughs> credits which to be fair I don't know if they were major or minor roles but she's the one who had the most acting credits and was in the least of the film and for the most part she probably took it like the um, the therapist mm-hmm. in the dolls where she, she was like way overqualified. she <laughs> thought she was going to be in like 14 minutes of the 15 yeah, minute and film she was in like 10 <laughs> so here's 10 seconds <laughs> <laughs> but um for the like cast that had to pretty much carry the film all being actors with very few credits like a really well acted film honestly who's um, your favorite probably tobin he was uh hands down that's exactly where my yeah, chips were like king does make a lot of use which we talked about that mm. uh when we watched the film of pets and children and there are always creepy ass kids in his stuff and like Tobin was, like, appropriately creepy at times, but then also, like, the kid you just wanted to scoop up and hug at times. And there was this nice mix of, like, Tobin being a child and then Tobin also being kind of creepy. So Tobin was definitely my favorite. Grass doesn't move dead things. No, that line that he said... um, Spoiler alert, I guess I'm going to go ahead and give up. We're talking about this movie. It's always filled with spoilers. I've got some shit on my good list that will ruin this if you haven't seen it. So go watch it and listen back. Oh, this will probably bleed into uh, one of your goods, I'm sure. I don't think I even have it written down weirdly. But we talked about um, the grass kind of being this weird time loop. So um, there's this repetition of these characters entering the grass and you find out later in the film, it's actually different versions of them. Like they've been entering the grass and getting killed and repeating this time loop and their dead bodies are still in this grass and the new versions of them are still coming in. And there's one version where Cal, uh, Becky's brother goes to like try to find Becky and Tobin's in creepy ghost Tobin version and he takes Cal to the the big mystery entity in the grass that we'll get into eventually. But um, <laughs> you hear Becky scream off in the distance and Tobin just turns around and he's like, too late, Cal, or whatever. Yeah. I don't remember what the exact wording was, but I was just like, that was so fucking creepy. So fucking like, cold. Like, that kid sold that. <laughs> Speaking on the time loop and Cal, because this is where I thought you were going with it, <laughs> Cal's deaths. Mm-hmm. At a, at a certain point, like when you watch him get killed, they pan out and there are ten other cows dead in the grass right around where he died. Which implies that every version of cow dies there. Yeah, and there's this... It's a little cheesy-ish. There's this chase scene where uh, Ross, the dad, is chasing cow because Ross kind of ends up being the bad guy of this film. Yeah. And you can tell Ross is running at a sped-up speed. Like, mm-hmm. he's running at a bit of a superhuman speed. And there's no way Cal's going to get away. Hi, Jax. Jax, we are for... doing this two hours later than normal. <laughs> what the fuck is it about this microphone that makes you so hungry? But, um, you know, he eventually catches Cal and he's about to kill Cal. And he's, like, before they pan out and show you all the dead yeah. versions of Cal literally laying dead in this they spot. They show you one. Yeah, and Cal, Cal's, like you know, struggling to try to fight him off. And he's like, oh, you, you should have turned left instead of right or whatever. And he's like, but you did. You turned left. You turned le- right. You went straight. You did all these things. And he's like, every version of you leads back to me. And then he kills him. And you yeah. pan out and see all these dead bodies. Fucking like next level. Yeah, and it is like there's no escape for Cal. Cal is going down. <laughs> well, it's people in general, right? Like, we've all got the choices we got to make. Like, mm-hmm. there's something so poetic about that scene, and that's forever, you know. 
weird thoughts i've had a few before we started this but you know ross is just the death figure yeah it just catches you every time and that is a beautifully poetic scene because it shows that no matter what the... i was thinking about moving his bowl yeah <laughs> um It's just a, 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 a beautifully poetic, or tragically beautifully poetic moment where Cal realizes that this is, like the whole of his existence is to die in this field, you know? There mm-hmm. is no version of him that adapts like the other versions adapted. He's always going to die doing exactly what the fuck he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um I was going to be a lot more profound, but Jax Jax. threw me off my beat, so... Uh, Favorite death, though, um, for the character that barely got any... saving my favorite moment of this entire film from (laughs) dead last, so what's your favorite death? Uh, My favorite death, I'm going to avoid what I know you're thinking. (laughs) Um, My favorite death for the film that they, like, directly show, for sure, is uh, the mom. Um, very minimal screen time, very powerful death. Like very Ross powerful moment. puts yeah. her on her knees basically and crushes Crush. her skull. With those goddamn hands. bare hands. Yeah, and I like character who got the neatest death for sure. Yeah. Like next level. My Right I, in front of her son too, like cold blooded, uh, smashed uh, mom's I, face. I wish it was a lot more realistic. I love it for the horror value of crushing her fucking skull like a goddamn nut, but it's not a realistic action, but the way they shot it didn't look cheesy to me. Yeah. Like the way they shot it, I was like, I believe that he legit just crushed her skull in. <laughs> so it looked good. If he was like roided out like Bane, I think I would have bought it a little bit better. Yeah. And I did like, though, that, like... Because he would have just, like, slit her throat. I'd have been like, okay, so we're still kind of in the world of reality, but by popping popping it like a grape, you... (laughs) I I did like, though, I may have my timing of the film off, because it's been, I think, like, two days since we watched it, but I did like that he... Because he kills Tobin's mom right in front of him. And he makes a comment to Tobin, something along the lines of, like, don't worry, it's just, like, flesh or something like that, and crushes her skull... And then I think shortly following that scene, they all like run off and try to escape. Yeah. And Tobin has the line, um, you know, he's right. We're all just grass. We just keep dying and coming mm. back. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> that, well, like, that's what I'm saying. I need to read the story for because it's got those deeply poetic motifs. Yeah. Um, there's definitely like a biblical angle to the Ross character. I need to read the story. It is a little, yeah, I would agree it is a little biblical because the final sacrifice at the end is, yeah, I feel like a bit of a commentary. But anyway, we'll get to that later. <laughs> so Maya, you up? Yes, no, you are. Um, my next good is we, we constantly, again, on these two star, we're talking about uh, use of the cell phone. This might be the coolest use of the cell phone in all of our two-star films. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're normally talking about canceling out the phone. But what happens in this movie is Becky calls herself, and you get the Becky phone call way early. <laughs> yeah, which, to be fair, they do establish that there's not much of a signal in the cornfield, yeah. so they try to use their phones a couple of times and can't really get through, and then they finally get the call, probably... A third of the way into the film, a half of the way into the film or whatever. And yeah, it's literally Becky calling herself. Like it's her calling yeah, a different version which of Which establishes a timeline of her existing at the same time that she's existing. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> this movie was such a goddamn trip. And then you hear her like basically die yeah. <laughs> on the phone. She's fucking gonzo sunzo. So you watch her receive the phone call and then a little while later you watch her make the phone call goddamn time movies are weird (laughs) um keeping in because we're kind of talking about characters right now i'm gonna go to cal so cal is becky's brother as we've established and um 
he's a bit of a bitch character. Like there's oh, yeah. a a scene where uh, Travis, Becky's baby daddy, tries to fight Ross, and Cal just kind of stands by and does nothing, and Travis gets his shoulder dislocated. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, way to, way to stand up there, Cal. <laughs> Jack's determined to be on this episode. Um, and Ross is... Or not Ross, sorry. Uh, Cal is this character who really doesn't do much of anything. Yeah. His only contribution thus far has been he was trying to drive his sister to where she wanted to go. He's trying to finger bang that sister. Well, <laughs> this is the point I'm getting at. Oh, sorry. So we establish way later into the film, like towards the end mm-hmm. of the film, that there's this creepy, obsessive love that Cal has for his sister, and it is incestuous. Like, he... he it's a very interesting writing move. You don't mm-hmm. see that often. Yeah. yeah, and it's not an overt. He's trying to like corner her and bang her. Like he just wants to fuck his sister. It is this weird. Like he wants her to love him the way she loves other men, and yeah. like like he's jealous Cal, of the baby daddy. Yeah, like Cal has this cool scene um, on the roof of the bowling alley. Like him and Travis have gotten into it, and that's. We'll get into that later because that's in my bads <laughs> in the bowling alley. And then Travis slips off the roof and there's this oh, he really, yeah. he, well, he, he trips, like he legitimately trips at first, but he catches himself mm-hmm. and Cal instinctually, because most people would grabs him by like the shirt. And you see this moment of like calculation on Cal's face where he's like the right thing to do would be to pull him back up. And then you kind of see that like darker yeah. side of him take over and he just kind of like breathes and lets go of him and Travis falls off the roof. And that was a really cool shot and also transformation for the character. Cause you see this a weak bitch ass character seeing his moment of opportunity. He's like, I should do the right thing. It's like, no, I'm but just I won't backstab him, bitch. I could pull this guy back on the roof and try to duke it out or I could just toss him off the fucking mm. ledge. And there's, other instances in the movie where his sister is very Lion King of (laughs) Stephen King. (laughs) Um, Which, to be fair, we don't know if that's in the original story. but um, It's not, because that whole thing, I think, takes place after the original story ended, according to my Wikipedia research. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, But there are several instances in the story where it's like you see the more selfish side of Cal kind of coming out. And I don't know if it was like an intentional choice... From the director, or the filmmakers, or whatever, but like Becky's six months pregnant and she's yeah. been having uh, pains and stuff this whole time. She's kind of out of breath, having a hard time keeping up, and Cal definitely runs ahead of her and just kind of <laughs> leaves her behind. It's Fuck like that <laughs> pregnant bitch. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of like moments where you kind of see this like twisted, selfish side of him coming out, and it was a, a neat transformation to see that particular moment in the character because he's like supposed to do the right thing. But I won't. <laughs> but I want my sissy all to myself. <laughs> God damn. Um, kind of the reversal of... Uh... Oh, fuck, what was that movie where the kid tried to choke the kid? Fuck, what movie were we watching? It was the one that we got mad at for getting... Uh, mental illness. I know wrong. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I think it was our last two stars, so uh, go look at it. Yeah, yeah, my bad. On ooh, Mercy Black. There we go. Mercy Black. Kind of the reversal of that because you see this character like wanting to do the wrong thing and then he snaps out of it and he's like, no, like stop. Yeah. And Cal's like, I should, but you can die. Well, like they <laughs> have this whole discussion. Is that when they see the dog? Like he puts two and two together with him on the yeah. That's like, how while he's holding on to him. That's how no. It's that's how uh, Travis trips because they see the dog and he goes to step out to get a better look because the dog finds yeah. a loophole uh, to the grass because they end up on the side of the bowling alley and they want to be on the church which is on the complete opposite end of the grass and they don't want to go back into the grass because they're afraid they won't be able to get back out. And they see the dog walk through like just this like haystack or something that's there. And it transports the dog to the other side where the church is. And Cal and Travis both see it. And Cal goes to lean forward to see if the dog's on the That's other side. Right. Yeah. And he trips. But like then... they've concocted the whole escape plan. So like the, the reason for killing him is purely personal. Like mm-hmm. It's not like they're flipping out on each other. Yeah. And now they're no, never going like, to make it out of here alive. Get out of here with my sister. Yep. Just me and Sissy. We're going to raise that baby. 
It doesn't work out, though. No, I mean, uh, the baby does not get raised, but I'm still two more points away <laughs> from talking about my favorite part of this movie. Um, what I, I, I guess I could combine these two here because they both kind of have to deal with pacing, so I'll package them together. Um, the movement of the sun and the moon, which I called early in. I was like, if they don't move the sun, then I'd give up on this film. Cause <laughs> yeah, because you said you would keep track of location by keeping the sun yeah, on one side I'd of you. keep the sun to the, you know, if I pulled off and the sun was to the left, I'd start walking to the left where the sun is and get back to the highway. Um, and then they found a way to manipulate the sun and the moon to where you felt like you were constantly walking in circles. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing for pacing is the multiplicity of the crows, where every time they went back in, you saw one more crow come mm-hmm. out. And so you'd had one at the very beginning, and you get to see all those cool reflection shots. And then by the end of it, there's like eight crows. <laughs> They're all flying in the same individual. It was a really interesting way, both of them combined, to keep up with the pacing yeah. of a time loop. Like They don't do that in like Back to the Future. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, I'm going to kind of go off of yours because I have the crows in part of mine too. Um, a lot of, which I, again, I'm, I say this a lot, this is going to be my catchphrase. A lot of pretty shots. Like it's a very... That needs to go in our new intro song. It's just you going, a lot of pretty shots. A lot it's of a, pretty shots. It's a pretty Shots, 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 shots. It's a pretty film. Um, no, like a lot of really well done stuff cinematically. Um, there's definitely some CGI and meh that we'll get into in a minute. But um, like the overhead of the grass, like yeah. the opening, like all the times they did the overhead of the grass for the most part were pretty cool. The reflection in the crow's eye, um, when he goes into the church and the church is all green, but there's those red crosses mm-hmm. in the distance, like cool playing with color theory. Um, and then the slow motion when they're trying to leave the grass and it's mm-hmm. like the grass is holding them back and you see the flies like buzzing all around her face and the feet sticking in the mud and stuff like that. But um, my biggest props, I feel like, which is kind of a silly thing to praise, the night scenes. Uh, this was a film where there was no real background. Like, yeah. they were just in a giant field of grass. And a lot of horror films, when they do night, she- night, scenes, hmm. night scenes, it's really dark and kind of hard to see. And that's part of, like, the suspense yeah. building is the scene's kind of muddy and you don't really know what's happening. And this was a film that was shot probably just as much at night as it was during the daytime and like well lit like very visible night scenes you could see what was going on and they didn't like lean on that i'm gonna make the scene dark and muddy so we can catch you you know like all of the night scenes you could still see what was going on you were still there with the characters and it felt like you were just like fucking exhausted you've been in this field all day long and now you gotta spend the night here and like I, and I again really... from a writer's perspective oh, i'm sorry Really? No, front, I was just saying I really liked the fact that they didn't exploit the darkness yeah. as an aspect of trying to build tension. Like you could still very clearly see mm-hmm. what was going on even when they were trapped in the grass at night. Yeah. And from a writer's perspective, um, because they were such dark scenes and such beautiful scenes, they were very character driven. Like, you needed dialogue to push the film through because mm-hmm. you didn't have anything to look at. You know, it's not like a car scene where you're driving by for 30 seconds. It's like, oh, we're spending the next five minutes in the dark and we're going to do it without a single jump scare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very brave move, very well done. It was a film that, to some extent, there was a supernatural element that was kind of silly, but to some extent, they always did. are. Yeah, <laughs> to some extent did lean specifically on the characters like how these characters were dealing with this isolation and having to come to terms with who they were as people so like that come to Jesus moment for yeah. each individual character was a lot of what built the film mm-hmm. are we down to your one big one is that what we're down to I want to add one more that's not on my direct list um or do you have one more? I um, I was just gonna say the uh, 
bodies when they did the bodies were really cool. Like the yeah. dead bodies. The of dead the cow. dog. Yeah, the dead dog. Dead Becky. Like dead you Becky only was next level. You only see dead Becky once, and that body was creepy. Mm-hmm. So like just the props to the props team or the makeup team or whoever was in charge of that. Um, yeah, the dead bodies all looked very unique and cool. My one before I get to my big one is uh, in line with the props team, which is way to age those cars. Mm, yeah. And he comes across it and he's got to like wipe the dust off the license plate. The fucking burrito's got maggots on it. You can, there's an implied distance of time. Without saying it. Without dropping the big black placard that says two months later. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really cool way to do that. Yeah. So like it all feels like it's happening right on top of each other, which unravels later. Story fold to just unravel. Speaking right on of top the cars, of the though, that's a random trivia I just thought of. There was a car that was a callback to Christine. Yep, the nineteen fifty seven. Gone, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but there was a car there that was a callback to Christine. <laughs> I, I, I knew that when it happened too. I was like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which means this has been going on since the 50s. Uh, we'll, we'll almost get into the bads. I'm down for it. The greatest good of this entire movie, the most disturbing thing that happens in this entire movie, and what was, ladies and gentlemen, the end, according to the Wikipedia article, of our little tale in the tall grass, was Cal... Slash Ross feeding Becky her own baby. That was pretty crazy. What the fuck? (laughs) I was so blown away by that scene. When that happened, I was like, this might be the greatest movie ever made. This might be it. Like, this might be the most beautiful thing that's ever been shot on film. And the way they It was disgusting. It was disturbing. It was, like... Like Adam and Eve in the garden feeding each other fruit. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it. Well, the way they shot it too, not just the like that's a really fucking twisted thing to film. Yeah. Period. But the way they shot it, like she had come to the supernatural rock in the middle of the tree or in the middle of the grass that we'll get to in a minute. And um, I got a nickname for it. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, Dick rock. <laughs> uh, and was like virtually on her deathbed like passing out losing blood and gave birth to her baby there so like when they shoot that scene she's in and out of consciousness and it's this very gritty out of focus like her kind of drifting in and out being fed something and she's like what are you feeding me he's like oh it's just grass it's just grass you Mm -hmm. know just cows just like cows cows eat it and She's just chewing, and it sounds so mushy and mm-hmm. wet, and you're hearing her biting into it and seeing his fingers shoving shit into her mouth, and then it kind of goes dark again and then comes back, and it's red, and it's like, oh, that's not grass. <laughs> and then they, like, pan over, and you see what's the remains of yeah. her baby in this kind of hazy distance. It's and just she's... like an empty baby blanket. Yeah. Like, like, she's eaten the entire child. Like, I've not seen something that fucked up outside of like hard candy which is another film that our ross character was in (laughs) i've I've not seen anything that fucked up since that movie (laughs) yeah that was a creepy ass shot and it's simultaneously and it's another dark shot yeah yeah because that happens at night good play on the night and also the hazy darkness of drifting in and out of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I will give them that. That was kind of a darker scene, but it was very believably like, oh, I'm kind of unconscious and then awake and then unconscious and eating my child. And then they move on from it and she wakes up and she's got blood on her mouth. Oh, my God. Well, I thought that was going to be a hallucination. So when they came back to it and she still had the blood on her mouth, I was like, that happened. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, <laughs> that's one Becky. <laughs> it's not final Becky, but it's one Becky. God and that's, damn. You said where the novella was supposed to end, the right? No, the novella, according to the Wikipedia article, because I had to just kind of see if... Because when it happened, I was like, if they don't cut to black, 
this movie is ruined. And they don't cut to black. It goes on for 20 minutes. (laughs) And that is entirely Vincenzo's fault. And Mm -hmm. Vincenzo added as a second ending. End it where it was supposed to fucking end. Because that would have been your heart out. (laughs) That would have been a good place to cut. Like that's where she dies time and time again. It's just eating her own child. The way that Cal... Oh my god. I would have come on the TV. I would (laughs) <laughs> and didn't you say in the novella it's Tobin and Cal both doing it? Well, it was that in the movie. Oh, not. No, in the movie. It in was the novella, Cal and Ross. Yeah, in the novella, I think it was Tobin and Cal. Yeah. Which I think Cal, because I, I did actually read a bit about it. Cal was her hallucination in the movie. Yeah. So it was literally just Ross doing it yeah, to it her was in the Ross movie. Ross feeding it to her, but yeah, that, it, 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 it was fucking insane. It was incredible. Like, it makes sense though that she hallucinated Ross because while we're on that topic, um, she thought she was being cared for, and then like as she realizes it, she realizes. Well, that, it, the it bad makes guys, sense but... too though because there's this underlying story of Becky and Travis get pregnant. Travis tries to convince her to have an abortion, and instead Cal is taking her to go give the baby up for adoption. So yeah. that's why they're on this road trip. So both of these men in her life are men that don't want her to have this baby. And Travis has his come to Jesus moment in the grass. Mm-hmm. But um, it does make sense for her to hallucinate initially that it's Cal doing it. Because Cal also didn't want her to keep the baby. Because Cal doesn't want her carrying that, yeah. Travis's baby in her body. So What a fucking scene. I'm adding <laughs> it. I, that, that might be my favorite scene in two-star history. Uh, I've, I've got that. I've got the hanging scene from Mercy Black mm-hmm. and the dishwasher scene from Stitches are still my top <laughs> three. Christ, Stitches. I hope to never see that movie Go again. Go back, watch Stitches, fam. <laughs> <laughs> the clown slips on something and then falls back into the only dishwasher that's loaded bottom to top and gets impaled through the and fucking eyeball. And left open by a mom supervising children yeah. with a drunk clown. <laughs> Stitches. Greatest goddamn movie of all God. time. But let's get into the bads. Because right. we, we, we're sitting here at 47 minutes. <laughs> um, My... It's not literally the biggest bad of the whole film, but it is a bit of a frustration. The Tobin plot hole bothers me a lot. That um, bangs off like three things off my list, so I'm happy you brought up <laughs> plot um, holes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few plot holes, but the just... Tobin the Tobin one in particular is the one that bothers me the most because we established that there is a rock which Brett has I literally have the words when did Tobin touch the rock written <laughs> down on my sheet Brett of has lovingly dubbed the rock the dick rock it is the dick rock phallic shape uh, go back and look at it it looks like the head of a penis <laughs> sticking out of the ground and then everybody and their mother goes to it's reach for baby it baby related and she gives birth okay anyway yeah. so um the rock that's at the center of this grass contains, I guess, an evil spirit, an evil entity, something. I don't know. They never really get into that. But if you touch this rock, you're essentially taken over by this entity. And it's what turned Ross bad. And so I don't know if maybe we just didn't establish if you're a good person internally. Maybe you react differently. Because they kind of establish Ross is a bit of a shithead. Ross is a fucking... <laughs> psychopath (laughs) well before they ever even go into the grass he's a very absent father he's on the phone like yelling about the kid yelling at the wife and all this so maybe he turned evil because he's just a super shithead i don't know but they never established that but the point is ross touches this rock and becomes the ultimate bad guy of these characters Yeah. yeah of these characters worlds at least i'm assuming there are other bad guys that have previously killed people there are because that, that, <laughs> we'll get into yeah, it let okay, me finish cool. <laughs> um but ross is a little superhumanish and definitely evil and we see tobin the young boy very clearly touch the rock very makes early his hair stand up yeah on makes his, his hair and he literally says mm, that feels good or something like that Touches the rock very early into the film and tries to convince Cal to also touch the rock. Yeah. So one would assume 
Tobin is now stuck in the grass as this evil version because we never see another version of Ross. It's literally only the evil Ross yeah. that we see. There's never a good never Ross gets killed. that enters. It's always just bad Ross running the show. But we see different versions of Tobin come into the grass, and we see um, evil Tobin initially anyways, this very dirty, grungy like kid that looks like he's been living in this grass yeah. for a long ass time. And we see that dirty, grungy version of Tobin multiple times later in the film, but he's not bad. So I'm frustrated by the plot hole that Tobin touched the rock, but isn't ultimately possessed. At what point does Tobin touch the rock? You've created a time loop. And this is what frustrates me with time loop movies. You see it in every time loop movie. When is the time loop established? Because... If we're dealing with like a place that is filled with spirits, then we can assume that that 1957 Christine still has that group of people walking around with their own Billy Badass. Yeah, because what happened to that bad guy? Yeah. I mean, he could have... Do they hold meetings? They occasionally go back to the rock? Why do they not run into, like, a 1920s, oh, my God, they let the blacks vote. Like, what what the fuck is going on with this movie? Tobin couldn't have touched the rock. More importantly, if you watch the entire film, Travis never had to go look for his sister because she made it two hours into her drive and went back home. Or Travis never had to go look for Becky. Yeah. Rather. Because they pulled over. They got sick. They decided, fuck that kid and drove back. So Travis would never be in the woods to begin with. Yeah, that is true. Thus could not die at the end. But he does. Kind of. I wonder if there is an alternate version of Travis that's still alive, rocking in his band. Well, there has to be. There has to be. But you cannot mix the levels. Because we're talking about a Tobin that is like... Eight levels away from recent Cal when Cal dies. But Cal doesn't die. So Tobin gets in car with like version 9 of Cal, version 7 of Becky, like being watched by like version 1 of Travis, who like version 2 of Travis never left to go find them in the first fucking place. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to the mom? Where did the mom go? Why is there not a continued version of the mother trying to get out of the fucking woods to go find Tobin? Well, they go... No, because Tobin reappears when they're... I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, yeah, you only see the one version of mom that gets crushed. She gets her head split. Yeah, there's never another version of mom. Unless... There was some weird... They never really established who that was. There was some weird zombie-ish like character that Don't killed... get me started on the goddamn <laughs> zombies. <laughs> that killed, well, skeletal Becky. The only time we really mm-hmm. see Becky dead, dead. Um, well, de- like, she's been dead for a minute yeah. anyway. Like, she does die more than once. But um, the only time you really see, like, gross, been dead for a minute, Becky, is after... Uh, Tobin does the whole, like, too late, Cal, or whatever, and you kind of see something in passing coming out of the grass to attack her, and to me, it kind of looked like a woman, so I'm wondering if maybe that was, like, evil Natalie. Like, they both touched the rock? I don't know, because they never really establish what attacked her in that moment, because Ross goes ahead of her, and, like, maybe I need to rewatch it, but to me, it looked like a woman that had part of her jaw missing. Yeah, it it was a jawless woman. I remember that. So I don't know if maybe that was... Zombie Natalie? I don't know. So maybe there was one other version of Natalie? I'm tallying up uh, dumbass zombie Natalie. Wait, I'll give you one more and then I'll... One more. Bad? Um, I mean, the grass people, if we're talking zombies. Oh, oh, yeah. If we're talking dumb... That's exactly where I was going. (laughs) Dumbass goddamn... What what they're called on the Wikipedia page are the grass creatures. Um... They wish for nothing more than to sacrifice Becky's baby to the rock god. Mm-hmm. They are not established. I don't know who the fuck they are. And if you... you're constantly coming back to life, why are you going into the field with grass masks on? What? Who the fuck are and these And you hear things? all these whispering voices on the wind and the oh, grass. Cool, so we'll bang off another two. That goddamn dumbass chant is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I don't understand if this 
this is just a spirit? Or if these are people who have died here? Are we in Africa? Are we in Kansas? Are the grass people representations of the rock spirit? Are they people who have died because of it? Like, I don't understand who Are the they all the are. bad guys? Yeah. Like, is Ross one of these grass people? Or all the... When she imagines the ground coming away beneath her, all the women's bodies. So it's like hundreds of women have been sacrificed here. Like, I don't... And they're all still alive. Yeah, I didn't... It really, that last 20 minutes does not make any sense. It's like, I'm not coming at Stephen King for this, because Stephen King did not write anything past hippies walked into the woods after Becky was force-fed her own baby. This movie feels like a more recent King novel, you know, where it's like, oh, and then uh, all these bad things happen that don't make sense and get the fuck out of my novel. And what is The Rock? It's like post getting hit by a car king. That's what Vincenzo created here. What is the rock? It's a giant penis. It sticks out of the ground. It has fucking sacrifices for yeah, pregnant like women. But Toby's not organs. a pregnant woman. Uh, Tobin. Tobin's not a pregnant woman. Why the fuck does Tobin have to die? Why can't the grass leave Tobin the fuck alone? <laughs> yeah, I just... And there's no... Tobin can't even get a girl pregnant. What the fuck? Why leave Tobin the fuck alone? I think that's the most frustrating thing about this. Like, the story, like, for that element, there's no establishing what's actually happening. It's just there's a weird, creepy rock, and then weird, creepy people, and I don't know why. No, it's unnecessary. And there's also weird, creepy CGI grass that I don't know why. Bam! There's another one off my list. That was your favorite part of the whole film, right? The no, CGI grass? no. Uh, really I it? have written down CGI grass, especially when they try to remove the baby. When the baby crawls up her vagina, her vagina, uh, evil dead style, and then just tries to grasp the baby in the womb and pull it out in the middle of what I thought was a really cool sequence yeah, right before that fucking happened. Yeah, that was silly. Yeah, no, the grass does not need to be sentient. We don't need sentient grass. You have people, you have spirits by the fucking thousands, by the sound of it. Just let the... Fuck what the grass is doing. The grass creates a maze. Let the objects kill each other. Or the way the grass was literally physically like wrapping around her when she was uh, trying to get oh out. Oh my it's like, god. Then <laughs> you sent your fucking mafia people. Like you're the, some, like, when the grass part. untied itself, Travis was trying to make That was cool. Except it looked like shit. Yeah, it looked terrible. <laughs> Like, the grass literally untied the knots Travis was leaving for himself so he could get back out. I like that as a plot device. Executed like horse shit. (laughs) Your Netflix. Pay a little bit more for your CGI. Or just show it not knotted up. Like, you could have just got that shot. Like, show him knotting it up and then get a shot from him from the front showing that not knotted directly behind him. I feel like... My only thing with that would be that literally his entire backdrop was grass. I don't know that I would have had the spatial awareness to be like, that was the grass he just nodded. There you go. Cause I'm I not could a just... director, I'm a writer. I... <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would just be like, oh, just there's grass everywhere. I don't think I would have been like, the grass isn't knotted anymore. Yeah, that CGI was some <laughs> horseshit. It was kind of ridiculous for how good the rest of the movie was. Um, I have a couple of other kind of minor bads but honestly my only uh, i just completely burned out i just realized we talked yeah. about all yeah, we covered all of i have a couple of like so minor... you're up kristen <laughs> jesus christ dude. The dog. I, 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 <laughs> I just tried to step my pinky in his butt <laughs> i have a, like a couple of other minor bads that aren't really worth like getting into like the fact that the dad was almost superhuman it's just kind of silly there's no really well name. he was like he was one with the giant Dick rock. Yeah. There's no need to really expand on that. It was just a little yeah. cheesy. Went biblical then... for absolutely no reason. <laughs> well, I'm going to get to oh, okay. trying okay. to do parallels with stuff here in a minute. But, um, and the bowling alley just randomly being there for the sake of the bowling alley being there. Like, they never show the bowling alley until they're at the bowling alley and they're like both sets of characters yeah. are like, oh yeah, I saw it when we drove by. Who's bowling? So the, <laughs> the bowling alley is literally just there so Travis can fall off a building. That's the only reason the bowling alley is there and that's a little... It's completely surrounded by grass. Who used to bowl there? 
Yeah, because it is an abandoned bowling alley, but they could have literally fixed that by showing somebody driving past it. Yeah. You know, I get not showing Becky driving past it because you want to jump into the action, but they could have shown Travis driving past it. Like, they literally just had both actors go, oh yeah, I drove past that earlier. <laughs> and that's kind of silly because it's literally it's on like, the complete opposite end hey, of the grass. Pro move. Let's just go walking down the street. <laughs> But um, my biggest final complaint is that the ending that we are left with almost feels like we're trying to neatly package this up as a present and put a little bow on it. So, But it's what complicates the entirety of the story. So the original ending is mm-hmm. just this really fucked up, like, she's being fed her baby. It's a really dark, twisted, hopeless story. The ending for the film is almost a commentary on um, pro-choice, pro-life for me. So we have Becky and Travis, who Travis wants Becky to have the abortion. Um, Becky decides she's going to go give up the baby. And Travis literally comes into the grass, has like all these moments where he's like, oh, the baby's a fighter, the baby's kicking, this heartbreaking, God, no, why? Yeah. And he realizes the baby and now both Becky are dead. And he makes the ultimate sacrifice by touching the rock and giving up his own life so that he can save Tobin, Becky and the baby, and Cal. Which I don't think he cared if Cal lived or not, yeah. but it was just the... Didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> save my baby. Like, it was a coincidence Cal had to be <coughs> saved because... He had to prevent Becky from going in. So the ending of this film is almost like, oh, the, like we lose sight of the fact that Ross was the bad guy because Ross has already died at yeah, this he's point. Gone. And it's just, oh, the wicked Travis who wanted Becky to have an abortion has to make a sacrifice so his baby can carry on. And you get this like Jesus-like shot of Travis laying down in the grass back, to die yeah. and then the camera pulling up and panning out. And it's just like this, well, that's what you get. <laughs> yeah, no. Like it's it's weirdly trying to, like I said, like neatly package it up and put a little bow on it, and it's like, oh, Becky and the baby went on and lived, and Travis realized the air of well, his way. Shitty and... version of Travis died, but Travis is still at home being a dickhead on his guitar, <laughs> not learning this lesson, <laughs> and Becky's gonna go home and be like, I can't believe this. I should have just moved to San Diego. And I was trapped in the woods, and Travis. It's like, no, you to, to make this even more symbolic is the only character in the grass outside of Ross, I'm guessing, because we only see the one version of Ross ever, is the only character in the grass who never dies. He gets the shit kicked out of him, gets yeah. his shoulder dislocated, gets dropped off a building, and you can see, because they show, like, he the trans... He gets fucked up throughout <laughs> this movie. <laughs> yeah, they show the transition with each scene of him slowly being, like, more worn out and more tired and more sleep-deprived, and then banged up from his fall and limping around because his shoulder like he never at any point dies in this movie until the tell end when he sacrifices himself to redeem himself for trying to convince yeah. becky to give up the baby so it's this weird and becky knows that travis real time doesn't know that <laughs> real still alive travis because well, becky never went into the woods i was gonna say that version of becky doesn't know that that the version of becky that lived is literally Ran into a weird, creepy boy in the field and was like, I'm going to get back in the car and keep this baby. How did last Becky die? She died from the childbirth. She died just from her injuries. She bled out. What happened to the baby? That was the baby they ate. That was the baby they ate? Yeah. The Becky that ate the baby died. She gave birth to the baby, got fed the baby, and then bled out and died there. No, because she got up and she had blood on her mouth. She lived for a little while. Yeah, she lived for a little while and eventually died. Because Travis was crying over her body. So Travis saved Tobin, sent... Him back to save the next version of Becky. Like, Becky was about to step into the grass, and uh, Tobin was like, no, don't go. And she was like, I feel creepy about this. Let's get back in the car. And then she's like, you know what? Let's go I guess we'll just adopt this small Theo Vaughn (laughs) lookalike. So, yeah, it felt like a weird commentary on... Pro-choice, pro-life to me. I want to rewatch it after um, I've read the novella. Mm -hmm. But don't fuck around with time loops, kids. And don't (laughs) go into any of the tall grass. (laughs) I can't even be mad. I I really enjoyed it. No, it was a very good film. What would you have given it? 65, 70. 
Like I probably like wouldn't. Right between the 60, 65. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have gone any higher than 70 because there were definitely a lot of kind of ridiculous moments. Not Well, not a lot, but there were a fair amount of ridiculous moments and uh, didn't stick the ending for sure. And even if they, well, I don't know. If they had cut where you wanted them to cut, I probably would have been like, that was a weird fucking film. Yeah. But but it implies that it always ends that no, way. No, I don't mean like weird in a bad way. I mean like that's unique. Um, so maybe if they had ended there, I would have scored it a lot higher. But otherwise, it's a a good film. It's not a great film. So not a bad film. Definitely not a... 20 or 30 or whatever it got rated at. 38, yeah. That's not even close to what it deserved. But, uh, Mr. Natalie, um, Natalie, however you pronounce your name, I'll fight you for ruining this film, but uh, I'll also buy you a beer and you can teach me how to shoot through crow eye reflections and shit like that because that was pretty cool. You done? Mm-hmm. Um... If you guys have any films that you'd like us to watch, you can send us an email, and that would be over at... at gmail.com <laughs> <laughs> Or you can swing on over to Twitter. You can probably do the same thing in a few less words. At, <laughs> at NightmareBoxPro. Uh, or just take a picture of whatever film you're watching if you're illiterate. <laughs> send that to the Instagram over at... At Nightmare Box Productions. Um, or you can swing on over to YouTube, youtube.com slash Kristen Pennington. You can watch everything that Kristen's got put up on the YouTube page. Swing over to the website that I can never remember the name of to watch the same exact film. Top right-hand corner. Bottom right-hand corner, uh, you'll find the Madman Diaries. $10. I'll send it to you anywhere in the world, even if it costs me $14 to ship it to your ass. You send me 10 bucks, I'll send you a buck. And you can find those over at thenightmarebox.blog. Am I missing anything? I don't think so. Sure? Pretty sure. Did we get lost in the weeds? It's possible. Oh my god. Love you. I love you. We love you guys. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. <laughs>